This morning's scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to look and search the depths of your word, Father, and we just pray this morning that you help us to understand what Paul is writing about here, that your spirit would enlighten us in a very special way. Lord, I pray that uh, you give me the voice to get through this, Father, and that the words I speak be not of me, but be glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. (coughs) I apologize in advance. People spend years, people spend their entire lifetime studying and trying to understand humankind, trying to understand men and women, what makes them do certain things or not do other things. There are psychologists and psychiatrists that go to school for many years trying to make sense of why we do what we do. But ultimately, the end, there's not very much that we can glean from that. Mankind is incredibly complex, and whenever we try to predict behavior, we fail time after time after time. But what amazes me is the Word of God. And unfortunately, none that I'm aware of, of those sciences, quote unquote, tend to incorporate the Word of God in coming up with an idea or understanding about the human condition. But if we really want to understand men and women and why we do what we do, we should study God's Word because it truly tells us why we are what we are and why we do what we do. And... After all, who's better to tell us who we are than who created us, right? God is the one person or one entity or one being that is able to understand us unlike none other. And we have his word and we can learn about what we do and what men and women do and why. And this morning's passage is no different. Paul does a magnificent job of just that in this passage this morning. As we look at this passage, and I ask you to describe in one word what theme has been the central theme since we began Corinthians and we got to where we are today, one word to describe that, what would that be? Starts with a P, pride, pridefulness or boastfulness. And we recall seeing that time after time after time from the beginning in chapter one where Paul was telling them that you all are saying that I belong to Paul or I belong to Apollos or I belong to Peter. 
And they were boasting about who their leader was. They were bragging about who they were following. And Paul responds, no human being should boast in the presence of God. Pride does bad things to the human condition. In chapter 3, Paul says, you say, I follow Paul or I follow Paulus, Apollos. Are you not just being human? Are you not acting like the world even though you are Christians? We can't tell it from the way you're acting. Because you are boasting, you're being very prideful. And here today we see in verse 21, Paul says, Let no one boast in man. Let no one boast in man. Boasting and the sense of haughtiness that goes with it ruins the soul and it destroys churches. Paul knew that because he was watching it destroy the church at Corinth. It was being torn apart from the inside out based upon this pride or this arrogance that was permeating the members therein. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If any among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So you can see that there is an apparent dichotomy in this passage that Paul's saying with this message. Let no one deceive himself. So the unique thing about folks that think they are wise, that is the last thing in the world they ever think they're doing, that being deceived. They know everything, right? Because they think that they are the wisest and so they never dream of being deceived. And yet Paul here says, actually, you think you're wise and in reality, you're being deceived. You don't know as much as you think you do. People who seek wisdom of the world or boast in wisdom of the world believe they know everything, right? They want to portray themselves as to having it all figured out. Yet Paul is telling them that, in fact, they are being deceived. In fact, it is a lie. This idea or notion that you know everything. The exact thing is happening to them that they believe is not happening to them. Paul implores them to become foolish in the world's eye to become foolish with respect to the world's wisdom. And when we become foolish with respect to the world's wisdom, then we become wise with respect to godly wisdom. And so here again, he's setting these two types of wisdom apart from each other that we've already seen him do back up in chapter 2. Verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. Silly. It is as if kids are playing with toys. And yet those kids, being adults, think that they've got it all figured out. We saw back in chapter 1 that Paul gave basically the same admonition. The cross is foolishness to those who are condemned or to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God unto salvation. You remember that? 
And it's the same theme that we see being picked up here. If you really want to be wise, if you really want to be wise from a godly perspective, you're going to have to believe something that on the surface and according to worldly wisdoms seems silly. You're going to have to believe that the creator of the world and the universe who spoke light into existence and you and me and everything else, that he chose to become a man and come in manly form, had no earthly father, was born a babe, was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day rose again, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father, praying for each one of us. That is absolutely utter foolishness to the world. There is nothing that can be more silly to an unbelieving person than the story I just described. Yet that is the very wisdom of God. That is the wisdom of God that leads to eternal life and salvation. The foolishness to the world, but to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. Paul then ends this verse 19 with a quote from Psalm 94. He catches the wise in their craftiness. He catches the wise in their craftiness. So they think they're smart and have it all figured out and they deny God and deny his existence and yet he catches them in their own craftiness or their own worldly wisdom and then we look at verse 20 which is also a quote from the old testament specifically job 5 13 and again the lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile the wisdom of the world is a dead-end road folks it is an absolute dead-end street we may be able to split the atom We may be able to put people on the moon, missions to Mars, speak to one another on a cell phone in real time across the world. But that will never make us right with God. Never make us right with God. One of the problems with human wisdom is that in the end it becomes all sort of trivial. At the end, all of that human wisdom that we so seek and lift up and boast about means nothing when we're laying there in that casket. It is silly whenever we think about it at that moment in time. We all end up in the same place, and that being not alive. You might be able to perform heart transplants, but without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what does it matter? What does it matter? Matthew 16, 26, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but in the end forfeits his soul? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. Nothing. 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 You can perform all the heart transplants you want. You're going to die. And if you've lost eternity, then you've lost it all. Yet we brag about human wisdom. And we seek it. But it gets us nowhere 
in eternity. Human wisdom is folly, and it only leads to destruction and death in the end. And God catches people and traps them in that way. So what is the root cause of boasting in human wisdom that Paul's alluding to here? Is an inflated view of human wisdom. It's choosing sides between Team Paul and, and Team Apollos. And they're telling each other that I'm smarter than you because I'm on Team Paul. And the folks in Team Apollos are saying, I'm smarter than you morons over there. That lifts us up. It makes us feel superior to the Team Pauls, right? We just had an election. They just sound like politics. Wow. Wow. Good Christians. We'll do the same thing. I'm team red or I'm team blue. Team blue's nuts. Team red's crazy. Really? What does it matter at the end of the day? We die. Eternity does not depend upon my vote. That is human wisdom that leads to death and destruction. Don't boast over that. Boast in knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Paul is telling him, stop it. Stop the silliness. We're all on the same team, team God. It's okay to vote for whoever you want to vote for, but don't look at the other side as if they are inferior to you. And that's what was happening at Corinth. They looked at those who decided to follow Apollos or Paul or Peter as they were inferior to everybody else. They were haughty in and of themselves. They lifted themselves up. It's a dead-end street that only leads to destruction. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. This passage seems a little strange. It seems a little out of place. Saying, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. And this is where the great psychologist Paul comes in. At first glance, as I said, it seems like it does not belong at all. Let no one boast in men. Why? For, because, all things are yours. So what in the world is Paul talking about here? What, what is he trying to get at? What's the point of this little passage? And this little passage is critical to the understanding of his whole argument. In the previous verses, Paul's warning was threatening, right? God's going to destroy you who put all your time and effort into the wisdom of man. It's folly to God. It's a direct threat that God will get or give out justice and punishment on those who seek human wisdom. And yet he shifts gears here a little bit. Don't boast in men because all things are yours. Paul says, don't boast because you already own the universe. You own the universe. Now he's honing in on the underlying cause of boasting. Alright? He's honing in on this underlying cause of arrogance and boastfulness. Anyone know what that is? 
The underlying cause of boasting, the underlying cause of bragging, is insecurity. It's insecurity. It's what it all boils down to. Life is filled with insecurity and fear. Yet we want everyone around us to see us as strong. I've got it all under control. I have no fear. That is the lie. We want everyone to see us as being totally secure. Boasting is the way that we seemingly accomplish that. And I say seemingly because it's not an answer, it's a facade. It's a joke, it's just something we put on so that other people can see what's not true. The people in Corinth were saying, I've got it all together. I have no fears, I have no insecurities, I've got it all together. I've chosen a good teacher, now look how smart I am. And in reality, the inferiority complex was, I'm afraid I'm not very smart. So what I'm going to do is try to convince you all that I am smart by telling you all that I am smart. But in reality, as I said, they were all very fearful of being looked at as foolish. That's the way of the world. The world attempts to prop up its insecurities by boasting in hopes that we'll buy that boasting. And we'll say, yeah, okay, you really are smart. You're following whoever it is you're following. And he's probably a pretty smart guy. When you see someone boasting about being the greatest whatever or the smartest whoever, what you're really witnessing is somebody that's extremely insecure about whatever it is they're boasting in. They're filled with insecurities. You see it on TV every day, right? You see those sports people out there that boast about how good they are. In reality, they're probably not very good and they have a really serious complex about being not very good. You see, politicians, they love to boast, right? They love to boast because in reality, they know that they're not what they're saying they are. Sorry, Siri. In reality, they know that they're not what they're saying they are, but they have such insecurities that they talk about how great they are. It is a lie. It's a facade. Truly, the best athletes never have to say a word about how good they are. They don't. Because they just go to work, they do their job, and everybody around them can say, what an amazing athlete, whoever it may be. People who want to show off their wealth or tell everyone how much money they have, they are terrified that people might think that they don't have as much money. Terrified about that proposition. That they might just be seen as average So in an effort to demonstrate their folly, Paul's saying, you have no reason to be boasting because all things are yours. Everything is yours. God owns the cattle on the highest mountain, and so do you. You have all things, whether it's Paul or Apollos or all the money that could ever be thought about and fathomed in the next world. You have it all. 
You shouldn't want people to think otherwise because you already have it. There shouldn't be that insecurity within you. You already possess more wealth than this world has to offer. You possess the ability to have more godly wisdom than this world could ever offer. There is no need to make up this lie and this facade through boasting. Boasting is a mask to cover up what we don't have. And in reality, as much as we want to boast in the wisdom and everything in this world, the truth is, we have no idea when we're going to drop dead. Not a clue. And even if we did, we couldn't change that. You see, the problem with that is that brings on a great deal of insecurity that I'm not in control. That there's someone else in control and not this guy. And that brings about fear. So what do we do? We boast and want everybody to think that we've got everything under control and that we can basically control our own destiny. And then that takes us back to verse 18 where he says, let no one deceive himself because that's what we do. We act like we have it all together. We act like it's all figured out and that we're in control. And Paul says we are deceiving ourselves and others. People who admit their fears and insecurities and struggles are fools in the eyes of the world. Weak in the eyes of the world. So we do everything in our power to demonstrate to the world that we aren't afraid, that we have no insecurities, and that we never struggle. Men, we're the worst at it, right? In Bible study, we've been talking about it. We want everyone to think that we have it all together, that we're strong and we can handle everything. Yet deep down, we know the truth. Deep down, we know that we're actually in control of very little. That we just try to make it look like we're in control of everything. That we try to look like that we're never afraid, that we're always secure in everything and we've got it all together. That's what we're doing. We have that facade that we're trying to portray a certain way. But you know, as long as we do that, we keep the eyes directly on ourselves, right? But when we admit that we're afraid, that we're insecure, that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or the months in the future, that, that life is a lot bigger than me, then we take that focus and take it off of this guy and put it on that guy. Where it's supposed to be. Where it's supposed to be. Pride keeps us from admitting those things. Very seldom do we even want to admit them to ourselves, let alone anyone else. Somebody asks you how you are. Your world could be absolutely falling apart inside. And they ask you how you are and what do you say? I'm good. I'm good. Because you got it all figured out. You got it all under control. It is upon God that we rely for strength and determination and faith. And we should be ready, willing, and able to admit that at any time. Let us not boast upon ourselves, but boast in the Lord. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas... 
or the world or life or death or present or future. Everything is ours as Christians. Everything is ours. Now you have to be careful with fallen man here, right? Because he says, you have it all. You've got more riches than this world will ever know. So at some point, not too far down that line, after we read that and we're told that, we start thinking, yeah, I do. I got more riches than all y'all. And so the pride comes back. The pride comes back. And then you start to say, well, look at me. I own everything. Well, and you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. That's why Paul, in my mind, inserted verse 23. He wants to make sure that we don't take credit for everything that we have, that everything that we own is far greater than what the world has. That we give credit where it's due and it is to Christ. We are his. We own everything, whether Apollos or Paul or Cephas or Peter or everything, because of Christ, because of Jesus. We cannot take credit for any of it. It is out of God's infinite love for us that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from the bondage of this wretched world. It is all ours, and it's all ours for our enjoyment and for God's glory. Don't forget that. Don't be insecure about those things because there's no reason to be insecure about those things. We have everything. Everything is ours and will be ours for all eternity. Thus there is absolutely no room for boasting. No room for boasting in anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of Paul that was so divinely inspired by your spirit, Lord, that we can understand the walls that we build up and the the foolishness that we try to portray ourselves as being or as some sort of pseudo strength that we really don't have. Lord, let us always be quick and ready to admit that alone we have no power, that it is only with you and by you and through you that we are strong and that it is because of your grace that everything is ours and we look forward to that day when that becomes an absolute reality Lord that we get to enjoy you forever and glorify you for all times for it is in Christ's precious name amen so I'll stand and close the closing hymn